This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton, and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook, so if you're at all interested, please check them out. Phil, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, brother. How are you? Not bad, not bad. <laughs> all, all the better for finally getting this organized. Uh, I know, I'm, I'm excited. I was running a little behind today. The school buses were taking their time. So. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, tough. Tough, it's tough at the top. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, uh, is my audio okay or is there like a big echo? I'm a no, perfect. Everything's cool. Right. That, that might be the best backdrop we've had so far on the show. Yeah, brilliant. As we say, right? <laughs> That's it. I'm going to keep all of this in the episode as well. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, I gave my head a wee shave and tidied, tidied the beard, you know? Are you using a darkening agent? Because it looks quite, it looks quite nice. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm needing it. See, <laughs> when I knew I was coming on with Mr. Handsome, I thought... <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did I get that nickname? I've never heard that one before. <laughs> no idea. Uh, I think I, I think I called you it once, and then you never, uh, you never uh, opposed. I guess you never, you never said anything. So it's just. Not... <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you let go of that one, right? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> how's uh, how's the family? How's Tracy? How's Amir? How's everybody doing? Everything's good, thank God. Everything's okay. good. Uh, just like you, the, the, the wee guy's off to school and uh, Tracy's at work, so, yep. Uh, so, shall, shall we plod on? I'm, I'm ready to rock. Let's go, brother. Cool. Uh, okay, guys, we are joined today by uh, our Taekwondo brother of mine, uh, Philip Ramirez Jr. We were, hopefully we'll get to do this again uh, with your brother, Jimmy. Uh, just with scheduling and stuff, we couldn't. We couldn't make that happen, but hopefully, one soon we'll, we'll get both of these on, if, if possible, if possible. Absolutely, we'd love to give you the uh, the full dose or <laughs> or two shots from Maris as opposed to a uh, a single a single shot this morning. So absolutely. Do you know uh, one of the things I was actually I've messed I've been messaging Jimmy quite a lot this week talking about uh, Habib's fight at the weekend. So sure. why why don't we start there? Uh, it's just the pinnacle of what we do, isn't it? It's the pinnacle of martial arts. So, uh. Absolutely. And, and before we even get up and running, I did kind of want to formally thank you uh, for having me on your podcast. Uh, I'm very honored with the opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled that you would think of me. I'm excited to be here. Um, and you've had some prestigious guests, you know, in your short time doing this. So yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited, brother. I'm very excited. But well, uh, Philip, it's... Uh, We've been, Kevin Ross kind of kicked it on to, to another level, to be honest. Uh, that that kind of came out the blue, but I, I try not see guests as being prestigious against not being. Uh, you, any mother friends that want to come on and, and, and talk is, is just as good, just as good for me. So, uh, no, you're absolutely more than welcome, more than welcome. 
Well, I, I appreciate you having me. But yeah, to, you know, to talk about the, the UFC fight over the weekend, it was, you know, what a way to go out on top for Khabib, right? Um, 29 and 0. Uh, I know you and my brother go back and forth about him uh, and, and all the fights a little bit more than, than you do with myself. But it was, it was, it was great to watch, you know. Um, the, the thing with Khabib is that it's, it, you know what he's going to do, right? And it's not a secret. And you can see, watch that first round, like he's inching in, he's inching in, he's inching in. And everybody has their game plan. But, um, you know, and, and Justin Gaethje's an outstanding top of the food chain type of fighter. Yep. But, um, you know, Habib's just able to, to do what he does. Um, and and it's, it's obviously very impressive because you, it's, it's especially impressive to me because you know what he's going to do. And uh, he's still yep. able to let off. So what did you think? I... Because I'm such a fan of his, I, I got nervous. Uh, do you know, I, I was talking to the students about this, and every time, every time he fought, it was the same feeling as when Floyd Mayweather used to fight. And I used to always think, maybe this is the one, maybe this is the one, uh, until he, they actually got into the ring or the octagon with him. And then, as we always say, there's there's levels to this. He, even even Gaethje said uh, in the 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 interview afterwards, he said he's strong. I don't think he, I don't think any of them realise just how strong he actually is. Uh, but unique fighter, unique fighter, Un unbelievable. And and I'm actually the when it comes to him, I'm the opposite. I've never ever picked him to lose ever, except. <laughs> I don't want to say except this weekend, but I was interested to see Gaethje against him because, you know, stylistically, he can do what you need to do, yeah. right? He has good, powerful low kicks. He can throw volume and power in his hands. He, he's never on a straight center line. Excellent wrestler. It's knockout power. And, you know, great coaching. Listens to his coach. But ironically enough, you know, the fight being in the middle of the afternoon, it was actually really nice because I could actually stay up and watch it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my father came over, my brother was there, my cousin, um, some of my other friends, all guys that are, you know, familiar with martial arts and, and combat sports. And literally my dad looked at me when Gaethje was walking in and he said, he's too tight. And I looked at my dad and I was like, well, that's it. That's a wrap. You know what I mean? I do feel, you know, and I'm not playing Monday morning quarterback by, by any stretch of the imagination um, because I've been on, you know, coaching on that side of things too, so I understand. But um, he did look a little bit stiff, and, and Khabib is one of those guys. Um, and when you get to a certain level, like Floyd Mayweather, when you mentioned it, I also believe Stylebender is going to kind of go in this route. Yeah. And, and Silva had it for that pocket of time where guys, when they see him across the ring or cage or whatever – there's that level of they have to get over it. And, and to me, even just how Gaethje was throwing his punches, and I know why his hands were a little bit lower. He wanted to, obviously, he was prepared to stuff takedowns. Yeah. Um, but I think that they ha he has that aura or had that aura mm -hmm. as well that a lot of the all-time greats have that you know, there's that mental aspect of it that's so important that you have to kind of get over. Um, and then you, know, you start working your plan or whatever. But, you know, it, everybody has a plan. What's, what's the old adage? You know, the old Tyson adage. Everybody has a plan to and, and Habib is truly remarkable in what he's able to do. So, Fa family's definitely going to be something that we we hopefully talk a lot about uh, today. And Cor uh, Daniel Cormier was talking 
last night. I, I woke up to it this morning. He said that he spoke to uh, he spoke to Habib after the fight, and uh, Habib had said there was a couple of opportunities that Habib had for arm bars, and he said you maybe pick this up in the states. I know it's really early where you are, but he said that uh, Habib had noticed that Justin Gaethje said he would never ever tap. Now that changed obviously, but he he said he would never tap, and Habib knew that Gaethje's mother and father were were there octagon side and he said he had the opportunity to put the arm bar in in round two but very quickly changed it to the triangle because he he said if I arm bar Gaethje he won't tap and I'm going to have to break his arm and he never wanted to do that because Gaethje's mother and father were there now a couple of things about that first thing is uh I think I believe that. I'd like to believe that. If it is indeed true, how sharp do you have to be to be fighting in the premier martial arts organization in the world, defending your title, and be able to make a conscious decision that I'm going to switch this so that I don't embarrass or hurt this guy in front of his mother and father? Yeah, I, I haven't heard that story, and that is... Uh... That's next level on, on every, yep. right? That's incredible. That's incredible that he would even, <laughs> I'm honestly speechless with that. That's something. Yeah. Uh, so that, that came from Daniel Cormier, who's obviously one of his best friends and he's, he's sort of teammate. Uh, but hopefully you can pick that up sort of online later. But uh, Cormier said it's, it's 100% accurate in, in, in what he did. Uh, do you know, one of the, as I said, I want to really speak to you about lineage today and family and just everything that you guys are, are you have in, a, in abundance that was the reason why I wanted to kick off by by talking about Habib and and obviously he lost his father this year and just how important that was but let's let's move on a wee bit then and, and just talk about the 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 Amires lineage and what it was like for yourself growing up as the son of, of, of your dad, really? Yeah, so for, for your listeners that you know, may be unfamiliar, you know, my father is Grandmaster Philip Amaris. Um, he is a ninth degree black belt under the legendary uh, Grandmaster Heel Cho. He is Grandmaster Heel Cho's highest ranking student, um, you know, and his, his technical director for, for his, the AIMO organization, which is the Action International Martial Arts Association, which Kareem, you are very familiar with as Kareem, you are a master under uh, Grandmaster Cho as well, which is quite an accomplishment uh, in your own right. But um, as far as my family's history in the martial arts, it really started with my grandfather. Um, so my grandfather was son of, you know, Greek immigrants. Uh, you know, his, his father came, came over during, you know, on the boat, on the proverbial boat that he yeah. <laughs> over on, right? And, um, you know, my grandfather grew up during the Great Depression. He had, you know, an abundance of family. He had, I want to say, four or five sisters and a brother um, during that time. So, you know, my great-grandfather had to make a very tough decision. They actually had to send everyone away with my great-grandmother um, so that he could, you know, they could be taken care of and he could take care of my, my grandfather, his oldest son. During that time, my grandfather started boxing. Um, and he became a very, very good 
amateur boxer. Um, I think he, he amassed a, a record of something like 88 and 8 as, a, as an amateur, unheard of. And, and there are some old timers that he fought, some legends of the ring um, that he fought and actually beat in the amateurs um, and everything like that. But his, his boxing career was ultimately cut short. Uh, he had some issues with, uh, with vision that he couldn't get sanctioned to fight. Doesn't mean he stopped fighting. He actually started doing, uh, <laughs> you know, some what we would call cash pay fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in that time. And, and the unique story about my grandfather, just to, to go you know, back to him, is you know, his father never wanted him to box. You know, they start hearing that he could fight a little bit, but he kept it a secret. And he started making uh, newspapers. You know, they would, and he would never use his name. It was just called the Young Greek. Okay. Never say, never say Jimmy Ameris, right? So if you look around our dojang, uh, some of the old newspaper clips, there's actually a, a picture and then a caption that says, you know, the Young Greek wins in this round but his head's cut out. So he, oh. would take, uh, he would cut his picture out of the newspaper, right? So he's becoming an amateur. He's doing some of these cash fights because that's how he was drumming up money. Yep. And then finally, my great-grandfather's at a, at a barber shop or something and somebody says to him just by chance, hey, your kid can really go. You know what I mean? He's, what are you talking about? So he shows him in the paper and the paper that was at the barber shop obviously didn't have the face cut out. You know what I mean? Because my grandfather my great grandfather to the to the punch. So he found out about it. You know, my grandfather boxed for a little bit longer, but again with the eyes, so he couldn't um, really continue on the route that he was going. You know, as we actually have this conversation, I'm looking to the right of me in our dojang. There's one of his old um, Golden Glove Dapper Dan uh, boxing robes. That's that's pretty cool. I'll have to send you a picture of it yeah. afterwards. You could reference it, but um, you know, fast forward. You know, he has some sons, my, my, my dad and my uncle and everything like that. And right around age, let's say age seven, my dad gets in a bike accident. He's riding bikes, falls off the bike, breaks his leg. And at that time in America, you know, Bruce Lee was coming on, you know. So um, my, my grandfather, who, who was, you know, a former fighter, says to my dad, hey, we need to make your leg strong. Why don't you try karate? So he took him, took him to a local dojo. And my dad walked in at age seven and, um, you know, much different than the dojos of today, quite frankly, but um, he fell in love with it and, and he's been doing it ever since. So um, he started teaching in 1977. He actually started his own, I don't want to call it a school, but you know, basically a club, 1977. He was, I think, 16 years old. Uh, and in the interim, you know, from age seven, he made black belt at 12, which back then, you know, in the seventies, absolutely unheard of. Yeah. Uh, there was no separate kids or adult classes, you, you know, you're familiar. So yeah, yeah. thrown into the mix, he was fighting, fighting, fighting um, that whole way, you know, national rankings as a peewee and amateur um, up and through kickboxing uh, and everything like that. And then um, somewhere in around the eighties, I don't know the exact date. Uh, he, he transitioned from karate to Taekwondo um, and he wanted a, a Taekwondo instructor and grandmaster Cho is grandmaster Cho, right? Maybe, uh, you know, from my perspective, I'm, I'm a homer, you know, but the greatest Taekwondo master of all time. If you look at his body of work, uh, you know, not just through the martial arts competition, teaching, you know, instructional videos across the board, um, you know, he's, he's the good for, for, for Taekwondo to me uh, so, and to many others. But uh, they hooked up in the 80s and, and right away there was an instant connection. Um, my dad brought him in to do a seminar. And my grandfather was still living at the time. And uh, my grandfather being an old school boxer, you know, he was always teaching my dad, you know, because back then the, the techniques were very traditional, you know, boom, boom. And so 
my, my grandfather taught my dad at a young age how to incorporate boxing because that's what he was, pro boxer, and, and with the kicks and everything. And when he first laid eyes on Grandmaster Cho, my grandpa didn't give out compliments to say the least. He said, my dad, you're going to stick with this guy. Um, he knows what he's doing. So um, that's kind of the origin story. And, and since then, we've been uh, operating our, our, our score, Dojang, in our hometown in New Kensington for upwards of 40 years. I mean, the obviously, we've already spoken about Grandmaster Cho, and I'm sure we will as the as the podcast goes on, but even, even Grandmaster Cho's son, Jacob, uh, who, as, as you know better than anyone, is just a phenomenal martial artist, who hopefully we're trying to organise a date to come on the podcast as well. Uh, anytime I'm referencing, referencing him, I, I try and make a fine balance between uh, him being Jacob Cho and him being the son of Grandmaster Cho, uh, and, and you and, and, and your brother Jimmy have, have grown in to be your own men as well. Uh, how was it growing up as, as the son of such a, a martial artist? You know, it's, it's unique because it's, it surrounds your life, right? And, and you know my father, um, so, you know, his, his time training it's just not like he goes to the dojang for a few hours and then he leaves. So for my entire life, it's, it's all we've ever really known. I mean, I remember being in my grandmother's restaurant and um, they used to say I would kick the doors because he would teach me how to kick the doors and everything. But I really watched, we always tease, I never really watched Sunday, you know, car, I watched cartoons, but you know, I also watched Grandmaster Cho's cyber vision tapes. Like all, <laughs> I guess I used, I used to, at the beginning of it, there's like, uh, he walks through this, this narrow, you know, Dojang looking corridor yep, and I used to, and you know my, there was these old instructional videos of Bill Superfoot Wallace where he would spar the TV kind of like this yep. and I would spar back <laughs> uh, so all that stuff was just it was just every day uh, of, of our lives you know I, I grew up literally in a bouncer in the Dojang um, I would I, I was by I was especially as a kid I was right up you know my dad's, you know backside so we, we were inseparable um, and, and most of our time was spent um, on, on the mats. And I think that, you know, ultimately it's prepared me now that I work with my father uh, and my brother works with my father. I think that that's prepared me, but I, I could say that all of my life lessons really stem from the, from the martial arts. Uh, I was actually talking to somebody the other day about, about work and everything like that. They, they were asking a similar question, like, you know, how do you compare things? Uh, how do things stack up? And, and as the, you know, the boss, the son of the master's son, right? And, and your son is going to experience this inevitably um, if he continues to train. He will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whether he has a choice, number one, but, but he will experience what I'm going to tell you, whether, whether he likes it or not, whether he wants to or not. Um, and it can be frustrating at times, it can be hard at times, but you know, ultimately it's going to mold you in, in your character. But I was explaining to one of my cousins um, who asked, you know, was talking about, it. I said, just think of it this way. Like when you go to, if, if just a normal kid went to spar at Dojang, they're going to spar each other, right? They're going to fight, bang, it's going to be done. Okay. They're going to have whatever effort that the, that the other guy gives on. This guy's going to have his effort. This guy's going to have his effort. Fine. Right. I said, so now I step in there and I'm, you know, grandmaster's son. And I got this guy. So I'm always going to get 10% more, whether I like it or not, of what this guy has to offer me, right? And if I beat the guy, I'm, hey, supposed to do that. 
right? You know what I mean? If I lose, you know, God forbid, I'm, I'm not, I'm nowhere, you know, you're not like your dad. Um, and, and, and beating him a lot of times wasn't just enough. He would have to kind of, you know, really show, show, you know, separation. But it, it's over time, I think, that's helped me, um, you know, I don't want to say rise to occasions because I haven't always met that expectation. But it's something that I've learned, you know, is, is a part of life. You know, there are expectations in life. Um, you could either meet them and exceed them and try to exceed them. Or you could let them bury you. And I think that the martial arts has really, you know, in that literal sense, helped me across the way and how I approach everything from being a father to, you know, the, an employee, a business, you know, owner, a son, a friend, all those different kind of things. I think all my life lessons were, were really learned on the mats. Yeah. How, I mean, again, I, I'm certainly not comparing yourself to like Habib that we spoke about earlier on, but looking at it from a really positive point of view, growing up with someone, let's talk about the access that you have. You, you had access to someone the same way Habib did to his father. Uh, at the top of the tree, you can't, you have access to that source 24-7, 365 days a year. Uh, how, how was that an advantage to you growing up and actually, I mean, Philip, you on your own are, are now an exceptional martial artist. Uh, right. During the lockdown, as I said, you came in, well, on Zoom and yeah. taught my own students, uh, you, as, as your own man now, are an exceptional martial artist. That must have helped you having that access. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, tremendously. Uh, even dating back to my grandfather, you know, it, it's not like we went in the park and threw baseball, you yeah. know. The, the first thing I learned was two jabs right cross, left hook, <laughs> my grandfather, right? Um, but, you know, just across the board, you know, my dad, and I could see it especially now having my own children, um, he definitely took a hard-lined approach to us with class. And it wasn't like he was forcing it on us, but it was, if you're going to be here when you're here, you know, you're going to do it. And you're going to do it the right way. And obviously, um, he was harder, much harder on us than, than you know, me in particular, because uh, we shared the name and, and I was a little bit more involved, you know, especially earlier on with the school and everything like that. But, you know, you talk about access, it was always on at the house. So... I think about everything, you know, some of the things that are kind of coming into fruition and everything now and how what you, you learn and you may not think is anything kind of prepares you for the future. So just in terms of MMA and, and, you, and you talk about Khabib and everything like that. So on the forefront of MMA, my father was right there, you know, back in the, in the late eighties, um, he was, he was learning submission grappling. Uh, he was previously training judo. Um, and he was, he actually put together a, a video series on striking against grappling uh, back in, in around maybe early nineties or everything like that. So when guys started to come to us for, for training and they wanted, um, you know, coaching and striking for MMA, I already had this backlog of knowledge just from being around the house and seeing the videos that he would do and then being in class with him and being his test dummy at the house when he wanted to try stuff out. Um, so he's, you know, he, he's been a tremendous everything, mentor, reference point. Um, I, I couldn't be more blessed to have, to have him and, as my father and my mother as my mother. But even, you know, in terms of how I've approached, co you know, particularly with when, when you start coaching fighters, um, 
you, you, you maybe need a little bit more specific type stuff. So um, there, there were definitely times when I was working with guys, uh, pros, that I would say to him, hey, can you watch this tape? Am I missing anything? You know, and I don't even have to. And I know if he, you know, he's going to, he's going to straight shooter as it gets. He's going to tell me, and, and there's certain things that he's going to see that quite honestly, I don't. And, um, you know, that just, you know, that's safety net, that security blanket um, is, is invaluable. You know, in, in fact, you can't put, you know, there's no price on that. Let, let, let's talk a wee bit about that then, because uh, you mentioned fighters there that you've, you've, you've coached over the last few years. Uh, you've been in the corner at UFC. Uh, tell, tell us a wee bit about your experience with, with professional, coaching professional fighters uh, in the UFC for sure, and Bellator as well, I would imagine. Sure. So, uh, you know, one of our homegrown students, Don Mazzotta, um, started with my dad when he was, you know, he was a little kid. Uh, he come into the school one night, like random Thursday night, when I was teaching the, uh, I was doing the, the kickboxing, pro, or Thursday night classes for us historically sparring. So we do kickboxing drills and sparring on Thursday. So we do the kids and the adults. So he comes in, you know, just randomly, and he goes to me, hey, I want to fight MMA. And I said, that's great. You know, you got to learn how to grapple you know he said, now nah, i'm just going to knock everyone out and i said no no you're not <laughs> you really need to learn how to grapple right so you know he ends up becoming dom's an elite level grappler i mean brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt phenomenal at wrestling but um he come in and we start working and working and i was training a little bit more um with him and i was training jiu-jitsu at the time as well um so i start working with dom and truly dom and another guy that i, I had the privilege to work with chris dempsey um, I don't want to say they're like pioneers for, for Pittsburgh MMA, but they definitely put it on the map and, and took it to the next level. So some guys were – and at that time, too, you're talking maybe 10 years ago, um, 10 years plus. So you couldn't even get – MMA wasn't even sanctioned in Pittsburgh. You know, all, of, all those amateur fights, we were going to Cleveland. We were going to, you know, West Virginia. You know, small, like almost little smokers uh, in Ohio. We, Dom fought one time in a bar. Uh, but um, you know, but all that that stuff and understanding of of how to you know attack for MMA because the difference in the in the striking is so much. The space is 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 the big equalizer. You're starting to see guys get get a little bit more comfortable in that space now. But if you really look at it, you're either in or you're out. You know, and out is just outside of kicking range. You know, and then when if you get in when you start punching, you know, there's no really like flurry exchanges. Cause once they start going, you know, your arms are lifting, those become under hooks or your legs are planted and that's a good time to take, take guys down. So, um, but you know, long way around all the strategy, you know, my dad really prepared me for all that. Quite honestly, he, he, and you know, the calf kick is a popular kicker. So, you know, um, we were always taught kick below the knee cause it's harder to grab and you can stay, you can stay more protected when you're attacking a grappler. So, um, as far as the actual experience of, of training those guys, you know, Dom, um, for the majority of his, his career, he ended up moving on to, to Henry Hoof's gym in yeah. South for a while. Um, and then he's back home. He, he may be doing something here in, uh, in the next few months. Uh, Chris Dempsey, I had the privilege to work with him while he was in the UFC. I actually didn't get to work with him until after his first fight um, in the UFC where he gave me a call. And then most recently, uh, I, a young man named Cody Law, who's actually going to be fighting on uh, the, the 29th, which is this Thursday in Bellator and Cody's down in American top team full time. Um, but it, it's a, you know, 
it was a surreal experience for me. Um, it was very humbling that those guys chose me to be in their corners. Mm -hmm. It's a big responsibility. Um, people think that you're just, you know, as a coach, you're there, you're, you're yelling, but you really have, you're not in the cage, but those guys, I don't want to say their lives are in your hands, but they're trusting you with a lot, you know, you know, one, one wrong shot or one wrong move, they could be looking at the other side. And we've, I've been fortunate to be on the side of wins. I've, you know, unfortunately been on the side of losses. That's part of the game, but um, it's an experience, you know, that I look forward to maybe when I have more open available time to kind of commit to um, because it's a huge commitment. You know, I, I don't believe in doing that halfway. Um, it, but those guys really changed my life, how I looked at martial arts, um, how I looked at coaching, quite frankly. Um, you know, it, it cut out a lot of fluff for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was unique to see, especially at the highest level, that it's really the basics that get it done, you know. Um, so that they, they were life-changing. They're very inspiring to me, you know, in their own ways. You know, Dom uh, always has a sweet spot for me. Those guys, they're, they're like – they're like family to me, those guys. And, and Dom, you know, has a sweet spot because, you know, he, he came in the – I think of the night that he came in and said, I'm going to fight MMA. I'm like, yeah, everybody wants to fight MMA, bro. You know? But um, he did it. You know, he worked his way up. Uh, Dempsey is probably the most salt-of-the-earth guy that you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, humble. will we'll tell you like it is. Uh, extremely hard work. And I, I love Chris. Um, he's having a tremendous amount of success right now in, uh, in submission grappling. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a world ranked, I think he was like first in the world purple belt. He's training for the IBJ FF uh, or the ADCCs. I get them confused, but there's a, there's a big, um, you know, world organization that he's going to be uh, competing in here in the next month, uh, the next few months he's gearing up for. Um, and he'll do, he will do very, very well. Uh, he's perfect style for it. And uh, his motor is insane. And then lastly, Cody, you know, you hear about affirmations and stuff, right? And people saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But I've never met anyone in my life like Cody Law. He's, when you talk about self-belief, I've, I've never met anybody like him. No, he's, he's unbelievable. He, he would say to me, you know, I was, I was teasing him. We had his, his last amateur fight together. Um, I think it was in West Virginia. And we're in a hotel room because there's a lot of time to kill, right? And I looked down at the pad next to me. It was an amateur title. And it said he had his name written down as a Cody Law and then whatever weight class it was. Yeah, yeah. And then he also wrote underneath it, first round knockout, you know? So then I looked at it and we were, to, we were staying at a casino and I, I wrote down on a piece of paper next to him, Philip Ameris Jr., 40 on blackjack table. This in <laughs> thousand. Uh, he was cracking up, but he's uh, he's an unbelievable guy. I think that uh, he's he's going to make a definite run, especially now that he's down a top team. Um, yeah. See, when you mentioned the the, the low kicking there, uh, and it's like I've mentioned I've mentioned Joe Rogan a number of times on this particular podcast because he was obviously a huge inspiration to do this, and I know that that you listen to him, I, I listen to him. Uh, the one thing where he always cracks me up to to the extent where. I'm shouting at the phone or, or in the car is when he talks about Taekwondo and he always say, he never mentions, he's always talking about a particular style of Taekwondo, never mentions punching, never mentions leg kicks. Uh, and I always think to myself, 
and, and, and if anybody's close by, I'll say he's not talking about our taekwondo. Right. That kills me. Uh, <laughs> I, I I remember having a I remember having a local boxing coach come to the school to take a session for us, and and he had me on the pads, and he said, "Oh, you you must have done boxing before. You you must have done boxing before." And genuinely and humbly said to him, no, this is just how we train in Grandmaster Cho's style of Taekwondo. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? Our, our, our curriculum within our Taekwondo Association is, is really quite unique, I believe, in what we actually cover. Yeah, so, you know, in terms of Grandmaster Cho, the greatest legacy for for me or what people should know most for me at least when i think of him uh about his his lineage or his his style of taekwondo is that it's always been progressing you know if you look back into magazines that he was in as early as the 80s there was one in particular i can't remember the name of the magazine but he was jump spinning hook kicking a boxer right the guy had boxing gloves on boxing shorts and a headgear and he had on boxing gloves no headgear and he was jump spinning, hook kicking the, the head. And it said somewhere on it, Taekwondo and boxing, the perfect combination, right? So Grandmaster Cho, unlike, no knock on anybody, but it just is what it is. Unlike a lot of the, quote, old masters, when he came to this country, he really examined things and said, okay, you know, boxing has the best hand techniques. Can't dispute that, right? Yeah. Let's work them in to our Taekwondo. You know, because if as good as your hands are, it's only going to make your legs better. If your legs are good, it's only going to make your hands better. So they all, they all work together. When, when him and my father, or when my father actually approached him about, you know, maybe incorporating some grappling back in the late 80s, early 90s um, into, into our style of training, you know, Grandmaster Cho was 100% for it, which you know, in that time was absolutely unheard of. And I think that that's why him and my father connected so well, because you know, they were, they were never satisfied in a sense of now I'm the instructor and you're the student. Yeah. They were lifelong students, you know, and I think that that's really trickled down um, through obviously us uh, and all of our students and all of their students. But I think that that's very important. You know, Dom always references, uh, Mazada always references, they say, well, you did, you're a Taekwondo guy. And he says, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's, it's Grandmaster Cho's Taekwondo. It's a little bit different. You know, he always will, he always will correct them. And, and I always, uh, it always makes me smile when he says it because it is different. You know, back in the 90s, you know, we really started incorporating a lot of takedown defense um, because they saw where everything was going, even before the first UFC. You know, so when the first, everybody talks about the first UFC in 93 coming on TV, well, quite honestly, you know, even being a little kid, I was maybe at that time 10, you know, 9, 10 years old. Yeah. I, already saw, I already saw a lot of that, yeah. you know. I saw that, and that's that's basically how what we were learning, and my dad was learning what was called at the time shoot fighting, which was uh, you know basically a catch wrestling and kickboxing combined. He was he was working with a guy named Bart Bell, um, but, but we saw a lot of that stuff already growing up. So the UFC wasn't like a surprise when we got to watch it on the TV for the first time. And I guess that kind of piggybacks off what you were saying about having you know the ultimate uh, you know reference at home. I what one of the other things that. Uh always gives me a, a sort of wry smile or the George St. Pierre when he was when he was in the UFC uh, always used to incorporate the Superman punch and you know you know what I'm going to say 
the the commentators uh, Goldberg, uh, Rogan used to go crazy. Oh, the Superman punch, followed up by the the, the leg kick. The Superman punch is in Grandmaster Cho's Man of Contrasts, which was printed in 1972 or 73. So I I always said this to my students when George St. Pierre was was competing. Grandmaster Cho was teaching this 35 years ago. 35 years ago, he was teaching stuff that's now becoming famous or people are looking at it in a a different way. And, and I think to piggyback off that too, you know, there's no, I don't want to say that there's nothing new because there are, there are new, it, you know, there are new techniques. Maybe there's new modifications, new ways to throw them and everything like that. But you know, with, with MMA, and I, I hate that term because to me, martial arts is martial arts, yeah. right? You know, it's not mixed you, in that, but that's how I learned. You stand, you grapple, you go to the ground, it's martial arts but I don't want to get on that soapbox, but you know, there's, there's modifications, but what the UFC and those organizations have done is it's spotlighted, you know, those modifications and those things in, in live action, you know? And, and I remember, um, so when I was going to university of Pittsburgh, I was, uh, I was doing judo as an elective class, right? Like, cause why wouldn't I, you know, it's, it's an elective class. Plus the judo instructor was a gentleman named grandmaster Q Ha Kim, mm-hmm. uh, also Korean grandmaster, you know, legend in the judo community. Uh, I think he was an Olympic bronze medalist at, at some point in time. So I'm taking that class and my dad, who has the greatest martial arts library probably that you'll ever see on earth in terms of books and videos uh, and all that, he gives me two books, Vital Judo, right? One was Throws and the other one was uh, Newaza, which is on the ground, mm-hmm. right? So I, I have those books to this day. I always reference them. And then, you know, years later when I got out of school, I started training jujitsu a little bit more frequently. And, you know, luckily my instructor, Eddie Vincent, who is a world-class jujitsu uh, practitioner and instructor, um, you know, we were talking about these books, you know, Vital Judo. He was talking about, you know, getting them online or something. I said, yeah, I have some copies of them. He said, look through them. So I'm looking through them. And a lot of the stuff that we were doing in class is in stuff that is people are doing on the high level of competition jujitsu stuff that was in this vital judo book from maybe the 1960s or whenever you know it it was an old book so it's unique to see that in in everybody's take um and i do appreciate that you know mixed martial arts has really um put martial arts on a spotlight i think in a pedestal kind of that that it deserves quite frankly uh in, in my opinion and it's nice to see those things evolve but if you don't have you know if it's your first time your first eyes on something or never seeing it it's going to be a brand new technique yeah, you know, at least those are the eyes that you're seeing it through the first time. So. Yeah. I, th- I think you've I think you've hit on something really important there. Actually, uh, just the other day I was reading someone had made a comment on Facebook or Instagram or on social media, and I can't remember who it was now, but they said that they get really annoyed when someone says it's a karate punch or it's a taekwondo sidekick or a a judo throw. Uh, I think, and, and you can let me know if you agree or not, I think that that cataloging it in such a way is detrimental to us as martial artists. It, it, I, I look around all the time and I see so many people in one box and they'll never break out of that box ever. And they go through their full journey in that one space. Uh, Am I right in thinking that's, and you might not want to say that's the wrong way, but 
No, I, and I, I could give you kind of a story to relate to that. So my dad's out in, in Los Angeles training with Grandmaster Cho. Um, it's 80s, 90s at some point, you know, when he's competing. And he would frequently spar at the Jet Center. Jet Center was an epicenter of kickboxing uh, at that time. You know, legendary kickboxer Benny the Jet Orquidez mm -hmm. uh, was his place. You know, and, and Grandmaster Cho would take his, you know, his black belts there to spar, especially the ones that were, com you know, competing because you need that, you need that type of sparring. Um, so I don't know if it was in sparring or it was in competition. They were doing, you know, my dad took a, a Muay Thai, was, was doing Muay Thai rules, right? If you've never been kicked in the legs before, right, and it's the first time, that's, a, that's an awakening, right, you know? So um, they start exchanging leg kicks, this, that, and the other thing, and, you know, however the sparring or the, or the competition went, it went. But they get back in, you know, to the dojang the next day. And Grandmaster Cho, you know, he, he's a man of action. And he's teaching my dad the next day. And he said, and, and you know, uh, Father Conley was there, one of my dad's mentors. So he was out visiting him um, there. And they always tell the story. So he's, he's showing them, he says, you know, leg kick this way, but spinning kick the inside of the leg. And my dad said, well, I know we couldn't spinning kick the inside of the leg. And he said, why can't you? <laughs> right? Kick to the legs and kick to the leg. Yep. So Grandmaster Cho said, watch. And I, my dad had the, you know, his dobuck pants on. Dobuck pants are a little bit baggier, especially on the front end, right? Yep. He said he threw a spinning hook kick to the inside of his leg, and he just smacked the dobuck pants. He said it was the fastest, most powerful kick he's ever seen in his life. His father Conley's jaw, you know, hit the, hit the floor. Um, and, and he said, you, my dad thought if he would kick somebody with that, he would to cap, he would have ripped their shin off. Yeah. But you just, it just goes to show that how forward thinking he was uh, in throwing those kicks. And then he obviously, he showed him how to set it up and this, that, and the other thing. But um, I agree with you, you know, punch is a punch of kicks, kick. There's different ways to throw it. Maybe the origin is from karate or, or taekwondo or, you know, whatever other style. But I think the art part of martial art is making it your own, right? You know, and I think that it's important to, to maybe know the origins of those techniques because they may help you throw it better for your body type, particularly in, in, you know, to kind of talk shop, technical shop, you know, the sidekick, the sidekicks, that's a, it's a very basic kick. One of the three, you know, foundational kicks. I always say the Trinity is the front kick, roundhouse kick, sidekick. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to, to chamber the leg when you're throwing the sidekick, right? You could chamber it vertically. You could, you know, chamber it a little bit more horizontally. You could point the knee down and kick up, you know, so vertically is more of a Japanese style, horizontally is more of a Korean Taekwondo style, mm. and pointing it down is actually a little bit more like an American style, right? But if I'm teaching a student, you know, and, and when you teach Taekwondo, you have people of all walks of life, right? And I could, I could use this woman as a reference. Um, one of our black belts, you know, she's in her 60s, right? She can't get her knee, yeah. right? She just can't do it. So does that mean that she shouldn't throw the sidekick that way? No, you just make it your own, right? Maybe you put your shin vertical. Maybe you point the knee down, you know? And just that little vertical shin or knee down is gonna, t is gonna take your kick. It's gonna, it's gonna change the trajectory on the kick, right? So yeah, we're, we're in a Taekwondo school. Do we do the kick karate style? Yeah, so I mean, but honestly, if it works for you, so what? That's, that's what it's supposed to work. You, know, you may work towards that goal, of building your hip mobility to get in horizontal. That may be like a long-term project for you. Yeah. But in the end, Let's learn to throw it both ways because, you know, if you start not so much for the everyday person, but when you start competing, you may need that, those, those different knee positions to throw or disguise the kick, um, depending on you know, your distance or what you're trying to do. So 
Uh, I'm not big on the, it's a karate kick, it's a karate punch either. That's a long way around that answer. I just think you really have to look at everything, make it, you know, make it your own. That's the art part of it. Add it to your base and it's only going to make you better. The, the first time, the first time we traveled to Ireland to train with Grandmaster Darcy was in the early 2000s. And uh, <laughs> I'll never, ever forget this day. And my legs will never, ever forget this day. So we arrived at the airport and he, he picked us up at the airport and he said, let, let, let's go straight to the school, not to the hotel, straight to the school. And I was the sort of biggest guy uh, on, on the trip. So obviously I was number one for, for demonstrations. And this, this was early 2000 and this was the first time uh, being in Ireland and meeting him properly. I'd met him previously at the World Championships, but actually probably properly training. So we get to the school and we, we were very, traditional Taekwondo until we we went there. And the first thing he said to me in the school was, <laughs> do you know the leg kick? And I said, no, sir, no, no, not really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything, everything we had done was above the belt, always, and it was point sparring, uh, hands in a traditional point sparring uh, position for the guard. I, I swear, Philip, I came back from Ireland the next day and my legs were, were in pieces, black and blue in pieces. And I've, I've yet to meet anybody who has stronger or sharper deadly shins than yeah. Darcy has. And he cut my legs to pieces that weekend. Uh, and, and it wasn't just that. So maybe just moving on to talk a wee bit more about Ama and and, and our sort of link, getting back to our lineage again. I remember coming back and Tracy, my wife, who you know, she wasn't on the trip. And I said to her, uh, we're doing all of this wrong. I, I remember the conversation saying, we, we're doing this wrong. Uh, and from that day forth, we, we pretty much flipped everything on its head. Uh, so maybe, maybe it was... Uh, Master Darcy's magic, or maybe it was his leg kicks. Who knows? <laughs> but but the rest the rest is history, uh, so to speak. But we, yeah, we have a one of the things that he, he also taught me, which has been vitally important, is that we don't run clubs, we run schools, and he always he always stressed that to me. Uh, you, you being with your dad, with your mum, who's, who's now a master as well, uh, how has that style of, 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 of Taekwondo, how has it brought you up as a person? The respect, the, just all of that, that good stuff that we're taught by, from Grandmaster Cho, through your father, through Grandmaster Darcy, and, and, and all the way down. Sure. So, you know, Quickly, I, I remember the first time I went to Grandmaster Darcy's uh, Dojang, and it was the it was the night before I want to say the second World Championships, which I competed in. Yep. And if you've never trained at Grandmaster Darcy's 
Dojang and you are a member of the AMA, I highly suggest you just fly to Ireland and do it. Uh, it has a mystique to it that you can't even describe. You, we walked in that night to like get chairs. It, actually, Dawn was with me. He, was, he fought, yeah. um, and, and one of our other black belt students, Nick Como, and we walked in and there was a real little heavy bag hanging and all the lights were off and we just looked at it. So we start working out. Like out of nowhere. It, it, it's, it's an incredible place. And I love, I call him Uncle John. I, I absolutely love Grandmaster Darcy. But, um, you know, all the, as I referenced earlier, you know, martial arts has truly built my character um, over, over time. And you know, Taekwondo, our, our traditional Taekwondo teaches that what's called the aims to achieve. So in Taekwondo, what Taekwondo aims to achieve is modesty, courtesy, integrity, you know, perseverance, self-control, and indomitable spirit. You know, and if you think about those words and what they are and what they mean, um, if you could achieve those things the majority of the time, you're going to be a pretty good functioning human being. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I use those things. Uh, unfortunately, I don't get to train as often uh, with my father as I'd like to. You know, uh, we, we both have you know, busy schedules, but um, those things that he taught me and I learned, you know, my entire life, you know, my 30, my 36 years of life, you know, modesty, integrity, perseverance, self-control, uh, indomitable spirit, you know, that will, that, that, you know, you never want to give up and all those other uh, treats from the martial arts. I literally use it every day, uh, every, every single day of my life. It's, it's how I approach um, parenting, um, how I approach work in particular. I will say that, um, how I approach, you know, my, my interactions with my good friends and family, uh, you know, my, I, I do separate when I say work, I'm talking my day job, my business, which is, it's a fight. Um, and, and you know, my relationship with my wife, like everything, you know, and, and some of those days, like anything, you know, you, you have better days than others. You know, when the kids are screaming this morning and I got to get everybody out of the house and we're going to be late for the bus and, you know, my dog's eating something he shouldn't be eating. You know, my self-control is probably on the downswing. Yeah, that's called what it is, right? But, you know, that, that indomitable spirit that I learned, I'm never going to, uh, you know, I'm never going to give up. You know, it doesn't even enter my mind. Um, so I think that those things in particular in learning the traditional values of the martial arts, I think are paramount probably now more than ever. Um, you know, the thing that I see most in the States, and I can't speak for, for things in Scotland, but... You know, when people think traditional martial arts, they immediately think uniform, rigid, traditional techniques, you know, hands to the hip, you know, kata or whatever you want to call it. I don't think, I honestly don't think that, um, even though it's been a part of our curriculum, you know, I think more of the, you know, discipline, the respect, you know, uh, those aims to achieve, those things that you learn, that, that master-student relationship, you know, showing respect for your higher belts earning your way up, you know, everybody on that mat is, is equal. You know, you're not going to get a free pass, especially, you know, in, in, in our dojang uh, under my father, that's just, that's not going to happen. Uh, or any, any of our instructors, quite frankly, throughout the AMA, you know, everything is earned. So, you know, when I think about the traditional martial arts, I think about those things. I don't think about the techniques. Techniques are always, always should be evolving. Always should be, you know, growing and changing uh, as to, you know, cause you, you learn. Um, but, uh, those things are, are, are priceless that aims to achieve. Um, I do my best, like I said, to, to live that way. Um, and, and some days you know, I'm good. Some days I'm not. <laughs> let's, let's talk about 55. I see you're, you're wearing the t-shirt there. Uh, the, 
I know this is your other baby. I know you've got three beautiful, absolutely beautiful children, but Fifty Fight's always been your uh, sort of creation as well. And I know you're, I know how proud you are of that. Uh, let's talk a wee bit about Fifty Fight, what it is, what it encompasses. Absolutely. So Fit to Fight is, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's not new, right? So every day or every Saturday in particular, when my dad started having the school, when I'm a kid, he would come to the school and him and his, you know, him and his friends or, or training partners would train hard. They would condition and they'd spar. And that's, that was pretty much Saturday mornings, right? So as my mother got more involved with the school, we started to, you know, expand in enrollment and everything like that. Um, and things start going well, but he still kept that Saturday class. It was called Saturday kickboxing. And then with scheduling, it moved to Friday night. So Friday night kickboxing was, was a program we always offered and we opened Friday night kickboxing. Uh, we ended up opening it to the public because it was a great workout. You know, you were getting authentic kickboxing. You were getting some strength and conditioning. You're getting an hour. You're getting, you know, my dad barking orders uh, or my mom barking orders at you and you get a really, really good workout. So People were telling us, we really enjoy this. We wish you'd do it a few more days a week. And my dad would have upwards of 50-some people in class on, on a Friday night, right? So they start talking about that at that same time. Um, and this is maybe, you know, so we've always done this style of workout in class. But in around that time, maybe 2008, 2009, uh, I'm going to be getting married, right, to my, to my wife, Hillary, who's a, who's a fit-to-fight instructor. Um, and photographer and nurse and, and a litany of other things, patient mother, very patient wife. Uh, but, uh, you know, I started teaching private lessons and I was, I was driving, really I was teaching out of people's homes in, in some of the nicer areas in Pittsburgh. And not to be funny, it just, it just wasn't really worth the time. I was spending a lot of time um, for the money and, and, you know, as a young man that's getting married, wanting to start a family and all those things, you need to drum up, you want to drum up as much cash as you can. So, I want to say it was 2010, 2009. I said, you know what? Let me take a shot with the Friday night group. Um, if I get 10 people, it'll be worth my, it'll, it'll be, be worth my time plus the privates and all that stuff. Right. So we started doing it and it was, you know, it was authentic kickboxing, you know, so we're, we're jumping ropes, um, hitting bags, hitting mitts, hitting shields, um, all that type of stuff. And then we, we had some strength and conditioning components to it. At the time, we started off with, with a lot of um, body weight type exercises and circuits, and we've really evolved, particularly that part of the, uh, of the program, something I've really worked uh, hard on over the last few years, um, integrating kettlebells and proper, you know, progressive strength training. And I have to credit, um, I call him my strength sensei, uh, a gentleman named Brett Jones, uh, who's the chief instructor for a company called Strong First, which is headed by Pavel Sulin. Uh, who really introduced the uh, the kettlebell to um, you know the the, the West? Yeah. But uh, Brett has been you know an outstanding instructor. He's a world-renowned instructor. I always laugh. I've been so fortunate in my time just to have have my father, Grandmaster Cho, Grandmaster Q Ha Kim as a judo instructor, Eddie Vincent as a as a jujitsu instructor, Brett Jones as a as a as a strength instructor. I, I got you know the cream of the crop to teach me, um, but. You know, we've, we've really evolved the program and, it, and it's been very, you know, I'm very, very proud of it. Um, it's, it's not anything fancy. You know, I, I laugh all the time. Everybody says to me, I'm not ready for, for class. I say, well, you know, you start slow and you go, right? And it's my job as your instructor 
to make sure that we're, we're learning everything the right way. And each week gets a little harder and harder and harder. You can push a little more and more and more. But um, it's, it's truly been a blessing for me and my family. I have some of the greatest students that I could ever ask for. I mean, they're just, they're great people. I, they, they have so many great success stories. I can fill a whole podcast telling success stories about them. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's something that, uh, that I'm extremely proud of. Yeah, it's uh, the, the last time we were in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Tracy and I and Andy, who you know, was there. Uh, I think I had, a, I had a really difficult choice. I had the choice of getting into Fit to Fight or being in your dad's office, just listening to story after story after story. I remember that night and Andy went into Fit to Fight. Uh, he done the class with you and I, as always, chose the, the lazier version. And, and we sat, uh, we sat that, that, even that memory, uh, obviously I was there, uh, your dad, Jacob was there. Uh, that was the, the, the last sort of boot camp that he's had in Pittsburgh. And, just listening to old stories while you were you were teaching your class outside, but one day hopefully uh, one day we'll get in. Right? Okay. Uh, one last question. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Hey, he's a, he's a captivating storyteller, so um, probably better in class. I go on. Okay. One last question uh, before I let you go on. Hopes for the future. Personally, uh, as a martial artist, you and I are very similar ages. Just moving our wee corner of the martial arts zone, what, what, what's happening there? Sure. You know, I, I think personal goals I have, um, you know, my goal this year was really to get just a little bit more consistent in training. Um, I've had some injuries over the last few years, uh, particularly two operations on my shoulders, uh, torn bicep from, from grappling dom, but, uh, you know, uh, just to get a little bit more consistent. So I've been working to kind of build my body back up. So it could, it could withstand the type of training that I want to do, uh, quite frankly. I'd, I'd like to, you know, long-term on a personal note uh, for, for training, I, I would like to get my kettlebell certification uh, with Strong First as kind of a to tip my hat to my strength sensei. Um, I would love to get back uh, on the mats grappling a little bit more than I can and obviously continue my, uh, my, my Taekwondo training. I do have some goals there, but, you know, just trying to, ride the wave right now like everyone else in the present with uh with the coronavirus and everything like that um and, and doing the best that we all can and you know continue to just you know uh stay focused and keep fit to fight running keep the taekwondo school you know up and, and going you know i think no matter what happens in my life martial arts will always be a part of my life so i don't i don't ever envision me of stopping training i just i don't see that happen we always tease that we'll you know we'll croak on the mats but yeah. uh it's just that's just how it is that's that's our life so okay brother uh anything else you want to say no just again thank you so much um for for having me uh it's 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 humbling that you would even want to hear what i have to say and uh i hope uh, you you enjoyed and, and your listeners enjoy as well they, they, they will up. uh I, I said this a number of times but you're an absolute gentleman so thank you uh as i say let's give a wee shout out to jimmy Next time, it's got to be all three of us uh, <laughs> together. Uh, and hopefully, listen, we, we, can, we can do this anytime. There's no, uh, yeah, let's do it as soon as we can, actually, and get, get Jimmy involved. But it's been a pleasure, so thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, all the best to you and your family and, and everyone over there in Scotland. And to you, sir. Okay, take care. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.